0: Conference of Champions rolls on, no truck stops here, we are the Pac-12, we are the best of the best.
1: Hello and welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm here with Carlos. Hi. Banana. Hey. And Matthew Bertson What up, what up? As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at NoTruckStopsPod and send us an email at NoTruckStopsPodcast at gmail.com. This is our football episode recapping all that's happened in the Pac-12 this last week. And we record this after we've gotten some stunning news. USC has hired Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley. This happened suddenly and kind of overnight. USC was rumored to have struck out on the likes of Matt Campbell and James Franklin, but landed a name that is bigger than both of those coaches and easily one of the five best coaches in college football. Carlos, USC is your rival. Let's start with you. Are you concerned either for UCLA or the Pac-12 more broadly?
2: Um, So before I say anything, I just wanted to couch this with um, and, and caveat this with Lincoln there's always a possibility that lincoln riley does not work out at usc and i'm sorry that i'm like you'll probably notice i'm driving from las vegas it was hell to get here um in like almost (laughs) home from las vegas um so if my audio sounds bad that's why but i just want to caveat all of this by saying um lincoln riley could flame out Um, Maybe there's something about the USC administration that makes it really hard for Lincoln Riley to do a good job at Oklahoma. Uh, Maybe like the defensive issues that he's had at Oklahoma, like those come to the fore as he takes over at USC. Uh, Maybe he's a Bob Stoops continuity merchant. Like any of those things are possibilities. Um, I say all that to kind of caveat what I'm about to say next, which is, everybody in the pac-12 should be fucking terrified um this is what a top three coaching college football top five um has been courted by nfl teams for a very long time um ever since his like second or third year at oklahoma um has consistently put together an elite and dominant team this year 2021 has probably been his worst season at Oklahoma since he's been there, and they're 10-2, um, having lost a heartbreaker to Oklahoma State, and I believe it was a close game to Baylor this year. Um, the talent that they put in the NFL, um, along with the recruiting situation there at Oklahoma and like the talent that they brought in, this is everyone should be terrified. As a UCLA fan, this is the worst possible hire they could have made. Um, given the names that were kind of being thrown out there, even some of the best names like could not have imagined anything worse as a UCLA fan. Um, USC figured its shit out like props to them truly for getting what seemed like was rejected by coach after coach, James Franklin, Matt Campbell um, to get rejected by them. And then to kind of pull an overnight heist of Lincoln Riley Hours after Lincoln Riley went to his press conference and was like, I am not going to be the coach at LSU. Um, That shit is impressive. Um, I'm terrified as a UCLA fan. I know how this goes. Um, If USC is good, they're soaking up all the talent. Uh, To this day, we still hear stories about high school kids talking about Reggie Bush as their favorite college player. They were like three years old when Reggie Bush was playing at USC. That specter has um, hovered around UCLA recruiting in L.A. for the longest time. Uh, the, all of the narratives around California recruiting and Southern California recruiting um, and how they can't, you know, none of the L.A. or California schools can get kids to stay home. Uh, those are about to wash away pretty quickly. I feel pretty strongly that Lincoln Riley is the best possible coach USC could have hired. I, everyone should be terrified. Like, I think the windows are closing immediately as soon as Lincoln Riley actually takes over as USC head coach. I, maybe this is just a sky is falling situation for me, but like, um, I personally am the opinion that the windows, everyone's windows in the Pac-12, um, they're closing. I I think, I think it's I think it's almost closed.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about UCLA i mean excuse me usc i'm already doing it we're literally four minutes in and i'm already <laughs> God damn it. cool anyways we've been t- we've been talking about usc not ucla as a sleeping gi- well carlos has been talking about ucla as a sleeping giant none of us have um <laughs> U- usc just being this absolute horror waiting to be awakened and it i think it's here now i'm terrified um I, there's always a chance Lincoln Riley doesn't work out, but I think one of the biggest reasons I'm terrified is because he's known as the quarterback guru, you know, with Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now Jalen Hurts. And one of the biggest issues with USC, I think the last few years, is mediocre quarterback play. You know, it doesn't seem that way because they have these godlike wide receivers that they can just toss the ball up to and it works out. But they really have been just held back by non-elite quarterback play. So a guy like Lincoln Riley walking into USC that can just recruit by not being terrible at his job with all these amazing offensive tools. I'm really scared of what USC can do with a competent quarterback, let alone recruiting in every position, which they'll win back all their recruiting grounds in california that's been tapped into by the likes of oregon so yeah i'm scared i'm i'm very concerned about this i don't want it um i want clay helton back please clay please <laughs> come, come back, back Clay. we miss you um i don't i don't like this at all
0: uh as a utah fan i'm i'm sad that our days of winning the south are uh probably over because of this but at the same time I think the idea that we should be concerned for the Pac-12 because of this is kind of it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you know, as a Pac-12 fan, I for one welcome our new Trojan ov- yeah. uh, our, tr- <laughs> our new Trojan overlords. It's uh, great for the Pac-12. There's a reason our
3: new our new same always have been Trojan overlords. <laughs>
0: they, they took a ten year break, all right, but they're back now. No, they uh, didn't. <laughs> There's a reason everyone says uh, USC needs to be good for the Pac-12 to be good. You know, uh, there's that saying that people use a lot when talking about uh, college football conferences: uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, or how, whatever the exact wording is. Boats. But, uh It's both. <laughs> okay, whatever. The f- I don't even care. <laughs> uh, look at what, like, look at what Urban Meyer did uh, at Ohio State. Like, he dominated the Big Ten, and yet while he was there, the Big Ten got significantly better. Uh, I think it's everyone it's bad for everyone in the Pac-12 in terms of like their odds of winning the conference but at the same time I think it will also help improve basically every program in the conference because it's going to bring in more money it's going to help the perception of the Pac-12 which has been hurting Pac-12 teams in recruiting and uh yeah like the TV money if you if Lincoln Riley gets USC rolling it's going to help uh with those contract negotiations. Uh and I do think Lincoln Riley will have USC rolling. Obviously he could fail, like Carlos said, but uh if home run hires exist, Lincoln Riley to USC is absolutely a home run hire. Mm-hmm
3: y'all this is huge i'm so glad i finally get to talk um (laughs) oh my gosh i have been talking so much about how incredibly important it is for washington and usc and especially ucla if they ended up firing chip kelly to get names as their coaches um pulling in a g5 coach just does not move the needle for where the pac-12 is at right now and what the pac-12 needs i thought that meant james franklin i thought that meant man campbell Holy shit, this is so, so huge. I, The magnitude of pulling this type of a coach who is, like, there are hot seats, there are warm seats, there are David Shaw seats. I think that Lincoln Riley was closer to a David Shaw seat than anything resembling, like, normal room temperature. Um, and he's decided to leave Oklahoma for the USC job. We can get into all of the reasons of how, and I've talked about this too, where I think that Washington has a really, really good job right now as compared to, like, an LSU or a Florida because you have such an easier route to competitiveness and to winning a national title. USC is – this is this is proof of that concept. This is proof of actually stating that walking away from my continuity, walking away from rosters that I have built – Walking away from the team, y'all. Lincoln Riley as a head coach at Oklahoma, 2017, 12 and two lost in the Rose Bowl in the playoff. 2018, 12 and two lost in the Rose or lost in the Orange Bowl in the playoff. 2019, Oklahoma, uh, 12 and two lost in the Peach Bowl in the like. This is a team that he has never had more than two conference losses. The his first three years as a college football head coach, he won the conference and was one loss like this isn't i i think that there are a couple of things with this i think number 1 like this is a huge 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 coup for Mike Bone i i mean this is unbelievable shit to be able to make this hire it does not like usc aside this is an incredible hire by him with that being said as far as when you're talking about like i think everybody's days are numbered of when you know utah's days are numbered of winning the south and everybody's screwed Y'all, USC was pulling in like media votes to win the conference this year. Like, this is not a team that is as as much of a sleeping giant as we thought. the The reason that it's a sleeping giant is because we think that USC should be Alabama, which they should. But that doesn't change the fact that like they've still been at the top of this conference for as long as they have been, and it's still just this is a situation where you're now. Hopefully you can get USC on a bad day and and you can win a game, which Lincoln Riley has proven can happen to his football teams. He has never gone undefeated in a full season. He has never gone undefeated in a full nine-game conference slate. I I think this is amazing. I don't think that this isn't as quick of a turnaround as it should be as, as we talk about it being at USC. I don't think that their skill positions are really where they need to be. I think that Jackson Dart is really, really good. I don't think that he's there yet. And I think that we've kind of seen out of their wide receiver group that this is not the wide receiving group that has, you know, that is everything that you that or, that Ohio State's wide receiving group actually is. So I think that he's going to be a year or two away from really actually dominating. And in the meantime, oh, my goodness, what a perception switch mm-hmm. uh, for what this yeah. makes the Pac-12 look like. Holy well, I, cow.
2: I want to kind of follow up on Greg's point. Um, I, I mean, I think some of the talent issues he's going to run into, Lincoln Riley is – along the lines. That's going to be his biggest task, I think. But, um, and you know, in addition to the skill talent that you were talking about, but I wanted to kind of like ask you all about that point that Greg made that in order for the PAC 12 to be perceived as good or to be good, USC needs to be good. Now, this is a line I hear all the time. Um, I am of the opinion that that's not true. And what the PAC 12 needs is an or two elite teams Um, And it's just easier for USC to be elite than in Oregon or what was then Stanford that was elite kind of earlier in the past decade. But I want to ask you, Avery, do you think, are you of the opinion that USC needs to be good for the Pac-12 to be good? Or is it just elite teams um, and and it doesn't have to be USC?
1: Well, it's elite teams. Like you said, USC is the easiest place to be elite. It's one of the easiest places in the conference to recruit really well. Like they're in a recruiting hotbed. They have the history. Like you said, you have kids that were three years old when Reggie Bush was playing that I idolise him, that wanna wear his number. Like it's it's just such an easier path, you know. If Oregon could remain elite, that would help the conference. I think when people look at the Pac twelve and criticize them, it's because the team that is supposedly the best team in our conference, Oregon, will drop a game to Stanford. And so when we say we need USC to be elite is that they have a high enough ceiling that they'll be the type of team that might be able to survive the stupid shit that happens in this conference that leads you to losing to a team like Stanford this year. You know, like I... I think people just say USC because there's just not another program in the conference that's going to be able to jump to that level as quickly.
3: Matt, what do you think? Um I <laughs> I get the sentiment and I absolutely agree. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter whose helmets are they are as long as you have multiple elite teams. The problem is that other helmets don't have the ability to be elite teams. Utah is an amazing program utah is not even a top 25 recruiter let alone a top five recruiter i don't care how good of a program you are how good your development is how good your recruiting scouting is and how much you break the rankings like you need teams that have the ability to be elite by their recruiting recruiting does matter i talent matters and so when you talk about you need usc to be great the reason for that is we talk about how much better oregon has got you want to know what their highest class has been in the last six years in their recruiting cycles it's sixth it's sixth last year and it was a hell of a class like and and it was seven before that you want to know what uscs is during that same time span even with how dog shit they've been four like USC it, it's not even just this situation where like you need USC to be good and they're not doing all these things yes they've had down recruiting years they've had like a 20 class but like overall Oregon Oregon's recruiting is on the level of UCLA right now like they're it's not really that discernible between those two programs USC is still ha, still has that capacity to pull a top three class there's no reason Lincoln Riley should walk in the door and should be and should be competing with a top three recruiting class that it should not be discernible between Alabama Ohio State and USC with Lincoln Riley at the home right now and so and and that just if Lincoln Riley walked in at, at Utah or at Arizona that's not happening mm-hmm. um, it's just not
2: well I guess one one other question I had and I'll ask I'll ask this for you Greg and then and then if you had other thoughts um, go ahead But, you know, you mentioned, I actually think Oregon and UCLA's recruiting are not equal now, but Oregon's recruiting probably was what UCLA, actually a little bit better than what UCLA's typically is under not Chip Kelly. But I want to ask, because I think we all agree that the team that's most, the program that's most harmed by uh, USC hiring Lincoln Riley is UCLA. I'm sure we can all agree with that. They're in the same city. They go for very similar, uh, for like, and they're in the same talent pool. But Greg, I want to ask you is who who, who's the next team that's most harmed by USC a hiring a Lincoln Riley and then B possibly being elite like which program do you think
0: suffers in the Pac-12 and is it it Oregon Uh, is it someone else I think Oregon's going to continue to recruit at maybe not exactly where they are now I think it'll be a little lower like closer to around like 10 or 12 instead of like seven or eight but I still think they're going to be recruiting at like a top 15 level because Mario is a fantastic recruiter and they've got that Nike money and that brand that's going to help them out. I think they have the capacity to recruit nationally. They don't just need to sustain themselves on California guys. But uh, I don't know. I feel like it might just be them because right now the path is wide open for them. Like every year they should be better than everyone they play right now. But uh, with Lincoln Riley going to USC, that's not going to be the same case anymore. And I wonder. I feel like there's been a lot of talk about ASU has been uh, capitalizing on Helton's uh, incompetence. Like they've gotten some guys that normally would have gone to USC. Like that's a big talking point. So I guess them too. Although, I mean, their recruiting class this year was going to suck regardless. Uh, on the point of recruiting, though, something that I didn't want to say is even from Norman, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley is really good at recruiting socal like he's got like four blue chips in oklahoma's class from socal just this year and now he's gonna be going to usc like i have no doubt he's gonna recruit the shit out of out of uh usc like they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with like nationally like he's got ties everywhere now and uh it won't just be you know southern california guys that are uh um winning games for them
1: there was a ton of five star recruits that were tweeting today like from mm-hmm. socal like different cryptic tweets about this like that's how quick the turn is like matt said you know they they see lincoln riley who's had all this success in a place like oklahoma going to one of the best landing spots for a recruit I guess you could say to the point about who this is the worst for I think it's absolutely besides UCLA I think it's ASU 100% Um, obviously ASU isn't recruiting on the level of USC not even close but ASU's only I think ASU's Prospective success or the reason we keep ASU in the conversation for the South every year, despite Herm Edwards underachieving every single season is because Herm Edwards is supposed to be this great recruiter, supposedly, you know, he had the 24th class in 2020 Um which is, like, pretty high for ASU and kind of has been hanging around, like, 25. But this season, it's getting worse, and I think it's just going to keep getting worse. And it sounds like they're sticking with Herm, and I think this makes him... Herm, is he even one of the top four recruiters in the conference now? Like, I don't know. I think this is really screwing with ASU. Oregon's still going to recruit. Utah isn't competing for these guys anyways, so... I definitely think ASU is getting fucked here.
3: Yeah, I think that there's, and I'm sorry, Carlos. We we really should let you talk. You're doing a really great job facilitating, though. Um, I we, I think that there is far more of a um, man. I think this could really benefit actually everybody in the Pac-12. Exactly. Um, I don't, it, or you look at Oregon's classes, and they're getting there. They're getting really, really close. And this is not me shitting on Cristobal because I think that Cristobal actually does recruit this way, but. USC and Oregon are the only two teams in the conference that recruit in the way that is recruiting the guys that we are talking about. You know what I mean when I'm saying that. And so when you're talking about guys staying home, the biggest problem with, with guys staying home out of the LA and out of California is not so much that they're not necessarily going to the, US, the USC's and the UCLA's as much as they're going out of conference. They are going to Alabama. They are going to Georgia. They are going to Auburn. They're going to Ohio State. They're going to Michigan. The best thing that can happen here is this idea that if USC can get the best five stars to stay home instead of going to Ohio State and instead of going to Alabama, all of a sudden you get a lot more of those other – your your lower four stars, your higher three stars. You get a lot more of those guys being more willing to stay in conference because they want to play against those guys and play on those teams that they've played with their whole lives. If all of a sudden all those guys are going all the way off across the nation – What's stopping, you know, your your four stars from going to an Iowa or a Nebraska or a Texas or something like that? I, I think that that – as you talk about, you know, the whole rising tides lift all boats, I, I think that that could have a real impact here and I don't think that where – USC would have an impact in the recruiting game in SoCal specifically. It's not where everybody else in the conference is recruiting, just like you said, Ivory, Like, Utah's not recruiting those guys. I think it'll this hurt is... Ohio
0: State more than it hurts any Pac-12 team. I think it's going to hurt Oklahoma a shit ton. No. Them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Um, I will say.
3: Uh, I mean, I think Carlos. Like, all... what do you see? Like, I it, do you genuinely think UCLA is is competing with these same recruits right now? That their their rankings certainly don't say they are. Uh, yeah, the ranking
2: doesn't say they are. Um, I think eventually we will move on from the Chip Kelly era. Era, uh, eventually UCLA will be, need to be recruiting for those kids because, I mean, Chip Kelly is an anomaly um, in UCLA history in terms of recruiting. Um, yeah, like absolutely, is going to go for those kids. I think you all have convinced me that um, USC. Being elite and having Lincoln Riley will do more good for everyone in the Pac-12 than him than USC being down. Except, I will say again for UCLA, and I get that they're not currently going after the same kind of guys, which I think is I think is a problem. Like UCLA this season, I I think more than anything, more, like people want to point out the defensive coordinator more than anything schematically that's going on the field, X's and O's. It's been the talent deficiencies that UCLA has had to deal with, and in order to shore that up, you need to recruit talent. Um, I think I think that this is this still, even though I I kind of see your all's points and agree that this will help Pac-12 teams more than it hurts them, just given where everyone is in the Pac-12 right now. Um, I don't think that's true for UCLA. Um, I still think I still think it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them because um, they live in a city where they live in the same city, and it's a city where um attention people's attention is fickle they're fickle with the the money and the time and the love and the attention that they spend given that um, the city of LA has a wide range of professional sports teams they have two NFL teams two NBA teams, two-ish NHL teams like two-ish uh, major league baseball teams along with a bet like a range of other sports they have two major league soccer teams. You have to be good in order to get attention in LA, um, and UCLA. Everyone associated with UCLA athletics um, should consider consider their time there a, a bit of a failure. This to to have USC be down for as long as they have since really since 2009 Pete Carroll's last season where they went nine and four um, they obviously had 2011 which is a good uh, a really good year for them and then kind of have flamed out and has struggled to recover ever since then even though I know they had the Sam Darnold years in there um, for UCLA to come out with that with just three win seasons um, three head coaches, two of whom are the worst head coaches in UCLA program history, and to come out of all of that with zero conference titles, while USC has had a, had one of its worst stretches in program history, that's that's an embarrassment and an abject failure for like everyone associated with the UCLA football program, frankly. Um, yeah. you had you had mm-hmm. to capitalize. You absolutely had mm-hmm. to capitalize in terms of having a name and being able to say, no, 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 UCLA football is not irrelevant. Like, it's a, it's, it's a premier sports brand and a premier product to come watch. Um, and you had 10, 13 years to do it. It absolutely could have been done. Um, I think we needed, like, three or four more of the best Jim Mora years where he won 10 games. Um, over or won 29 games over three years. If you had another three or four years of that, we might've seen some tides shifting, but um, they weren't able to do it. They weren't able to capitalize. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it absolutely, I think I, I kind of agree with you all kind of keeping kids home at USC might actually keep kids home for other kids, uh, other PAC 12 teams too, but I think it hurts. It directly hurts UCLA and it's a complete abject failure for them to go 13 years with nothing to show for this
1: this was this was UCLA's chance to escape the shadow of USC and they didn't capitalize on it like you, UCLA needed to make a hire like this first but they didn't and now they're stuck there but I, I think mean, Chip Kelly was that
2: it, hire right but yeah
1: yeah he was the name mm-hmm. but it didn't work yeah if, if you are trying to figure out if this is a good or a bad thing. If you're looking at the Pac-12 as a conference as a whole nationally and its perception, this is an amazing thing for the conference. If you're looking at it as a fan, particularly, I will say, from Utah, since I'm a Utah fan, who has been able to hang out at the top of the South because the conference has been so bad for years, it's a, it's a little upsetting because, selfishly, I, I like this whole, oh, you don't have to be perfect to win your division and you can – hang out and go right into the conference championship and try to win again. And like, this really does feel like Utah's last good chance at making it to the Rose bowl for a while, just because, you know, the conference will be more competitive. If um, Lincoln Riley turns out to be everything that we think he will be, and we'll get more respect nationally, which is great. And we won't have to hear about how the PAC 12 is the most disappointing conference in the world, which will be nice. But That also means like that he's probably going to be on top of the South like solidly every single year. You know, we think U.S. season they're running every season, but they're not untouchable. And we all know that they're not untouchable. But this just makes it feel like they're even more untouchable than they were. And so it's kind of frustrating short term to be like, well, damn, it's going to be a really big uphill battle to win the conference but like at least our conference will be competitive and we won't have to hear all this shit about how nobody cares about West Coast football anymore and we'll never actually achieve anything. So there's that, but I want to win the damn conference. So yeah. when it when this
2: is I mean right now this is like you this the one of my I mean my immediate thought was um it's UCLA basketball season. My second thought was like this is this is a big this that the the magnitude of this Utah football game in the Pac-12 championship against Oregon, I maybe I'm just maybe I'm just being dramatic. I think it's heightened up to a thousand now. Like the importance and the magnitude of this game for Utah as a program. Like they need to win this game. They absolutely need to win this game because um, Lincoln, Like maybe Lincoln Riley needs a year to figure this stuff out but maybe he doesn't. Um, that's not, there's a non-zero chance he figures it out immediately. Sorry, Matt, were you
3: going to say something about uh, this being monumentous and not needing a loss? Yeah. Cause I, it's exactly what I said in our preseason episodes about how like going seven and five for Utah and is less damaging than making the conference championship game and losing again, because I, yeah, this is exactly, <laughs> this is exactly what I envisioned with it where, USC is going to come back, and if you win a conference championship, you can ride that in recruiting. Even with USC being back and saying, "No, we're more than just a space filler. Like we can actually beat a big boy in Oregon who is recruiting at number six in the nation, and like we can actually compete with that." Whereas if you don't win and you're not able to beat Oregon in a big game that you know Cristobal is known for getting his guys up for all of a sudden this it really solidifies it's just like all right cool you're Iowa congratulations yeah should we move on to uh speaking of implications for this year
1: yeah um most of the games this last week were snooze fest I'm sorry if you guys all watched them I certainly did it and most of them didn't have any implications but we're gonna talk about them really quickly um and the season more broadly and then we'll get to the big game this week. So here are the results for the last week. Utah beat Colorado 28 to 13 to finish 9 and 3, while Colorado finished their season finishes their season four and eight wazoo beat UW dub handedly 40 to 13 for their first apple cup victory in seven years oregon comfortably beat oregon state 38 to 29 in eugene moving oregon to 10 and 2 on the year and dropping the beefs to be a respectable 7 and 5 congratulations oregon state asu beat arizona in disgusting game 38 to 15 um Though Arizona outgained ASU in this game, Notre Dame predictably throttled Stanford 45 to 14, dropping the Cardinal three and nine, a program worst under David Shaw. BYU escaped the Colise- Coliseum with a win thirty-five to thirty-one, while UCLA beat up on Cal forty two to fourteen. Just quickly give us one to two things you want to pull from these games. Let's start with you, Matt.
3: Um, Yeah, so a couple of quick things that uh, will kind of tie in our previous conversation. First of all, incredible, incredible that you can show that much competency while only winning three games. Amazing season by Stanford. Very proud of my (laughs) beautiful, competent Cardinal boys. Um, (laughs) uh, BYU-USC game. I did not watch this live. I watched it after the fact. I was just scorebug watching with this one. Um, I am... This is where this game was such a a great example of why I think it's going to be a couple of years for Lincoln Riley because I cannot tell you the number of times where a BYU offensive player was either stopped of a goal line or a line to gain or even just a regular old play like three yards short and three more USC tacklers came and got on the guy. They gang tackled like crazy. And the USC, whether it was their running back or even just their wide receivers, who are not large people, carried them for five yards and and pushed for a first down. And these were on critical third downs. These were on goal line scenarios. It was truly, it was genuinely remarkable to me how much, um, how soft USC was and and how much they could not actually just generate push in, in critical downs and and that's where i mean all the talent levels and the recruiting and everything like that it but elliot has talked a lot about how soft they look and how much like he thinks that there is legitimate um systematic issues there where like the strength and conditioning program really needs to be needs to be uh rethought um th- this game was really really telling of that because i USC out-talented BYU in this game, and BYU just out-muscled um, to to get the win on this one, which was kind of crazy. Last thing uh, for me, really excited about the Jake Dickert um, experiment at Wazoo. Um, really impressive close to the season. I know a lot of that can be attributed to whatever Rolovich left behind, but um, I thought he did a fantastic job as far as game management and stuff like that. that you typically see interims screw up a lot.
1: Yeah, I think Jake Dicker, the hire, is really good for Wazoo, especially considering what the coaching market looks like this season, and he looked really good. I still think Wazoo had a really impressive season. Um, absolutely heartbroken that UW didn't miraculously win a football game. Uh, really wanted to see Oregon State in the conference championship, but it didn't matter anyways because Oregon State cannot win on the road. Um, as for the BYU USC game, this USC team is absolute garbage. Like this is not a good win at all. Almost losing to this team is embarrassing. And and your point about strength, Matt, is like BYU team in week thirteen, and they're they're stronger than you. Like they're tougher than you. That's embarrassing. Like they had tons of injuries, especially among their linebackers, and they were still just beating up USC. Like. BYU is known for having terrible strength and conditioning and having all these injuries at the end of the season. Like that, man, that's a really tough look, but this USC programs down bad. So it's really good. They got that higher. Um, I, I didn't watch any of the Stanford game. Um, I watched, but it appears, I watched two minutes of highlights and it
3: was pretty clear what, what was happening there
1: (laughs) as we expected. Greg, do you have any thoughts?
0: Uh, I was just gonna say I also had the issues with USC that just looked soft, uh, something that maybe Lincoln Riley like if he can bring some assistance with him from Oklahoma, especially their offensive line coach whose name escapes me, but he's one of the best in the country, uh, that would be huge for them. uh Jackson Dart is very good at football. Uh and I'm very excited to see what Lincoln Riley does with him and uh Anthony Brown was like kind of awesome in their game against Oregon State, and I get Oregon State's defense is not great, but uh, I still think it was a very uh, impressive performance for them. Has me a little bit scared as a Utah. As fan a for next bitter
1: week. Utah fan, I'm kind of frustrated with how good Jackson Dart looks. Like I'm, I'm very happy for him, <laughs> yeah. and I think Lincoln Riley as his coach is going to be a terrible combination. But like, does it have to be a kid from Utah? Can it be, like, some obscure truck stop recruit somewhere? Like, come on. That's just super unfortunate. Well, get used, Carlos, did you have any thoughts on these the games?
3: Utah High School football is going.
2: Yeah, thoughts in these games. I don't know. I mean, they're just largely, as I'm sure you all said, I had to. I dropped off because internet, whatever. Um, and now I'm finally home. But yeah, I mean, I, they were largely inconsequential and like kind of mostly hard to watch because there was nothing particularly exciting going on. In literally none of them, um, I'm trying to think if there was a a close game. But I, I mean, Oregon maybe State
1: Oregon, probably was the closest. It kind it of felt close, but it was yeah. three scores the whole time. Yeah,
3: like. Yeah.
0: Do we yeah. want to talk about Jonathan Smith's uh, two-point conversion decision? Which it didn't one? really matter in the end, but... Well, I mean, oh, eight the, of the first one that caused the other ones, yeah. I mean, it didn't end up mattering because... Yeah, they lost by more than that, but...
2: Not only did they lose by more than that, but it's like uh, they their defense needed to step up, um, and we know that Oregon State's defense on the road is brutal. Um it's a much different defense at home and it does not travel. Um and Oregon on the ground got whatever it wanted. So like even though, you know, those two-point conversion attempts very like baffling decisions, but frankly it the the bigger issue was their defense. They they uh Oregon got mm-hmm. the ball right back and ran it down their throats. Um so
3: I just I don't know to to Um, defend our guy Johnny. I they knew. Bear in mind that Wazoo had won the night before, so they had nothing to play for in this game, and they knew it. I have no problem with chasing points in a rivalry game that has no consequence if you lose.
0: Yeah, I don't think it ended up mattering that much, so I'm not gonna. He does keep adding in
1: these weird spicy things, and I needed to stop. I think it might be because he's getting attention all of a sudden, but like please we I know I know you wanna be a fancy quarterback guy. Just don't do it. Please just run the ball. That's all I want from you. I don't I don't wanna see anything crazy. Just keep it keep it simple. Yeah, if no one else has anything to add, they were all they're all very mm, games. You know, after after.
2: Yeah. Congrats to congrats to Wazoo for winning their first Apple Cup in seven years. I feel like. Oh, yeah. The field (laughs) Um... at
1: Seattle. That was the greatest thing. I feel like I shouldn't say that, (laughs) but it was incredible. I was so happy for them that. Wow. Rush the field at all opportunities. Avery,
3: do you mind telling Avery, do you mind telling the people what uh, the the school of the shirt that you're wearing right now
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna
3: bring that up. <laughs> I I may or may not be worth one like, gold, but I I thought it
1: was really fantastic when Wasi rushed the field and Jaden and Delora planted the flag. That's just the pettiest <sighs> shit. The I miss petty shit and rivalries. Like I don't get enough of that anymore. Fake fans everywhere. That's right. Now. Yeah.
0: We need more.
2: Were there any? Were there any? Were there any pearl clutching U Dub fans who were calling this a disgrace? Oh, absolutely. I think
1: everyone was. <laughs> Most okay. most really? of the Udup okay. fans well, I didn't that I saw, passing, you know? <laughs> how many Udup fans do you interact with? Most of them were like acting like boomers. I don't. Not very was, many. You know, uh, I, if you if you don't want people to rush your own field, um, don't lose by twenty seven to your and rival. Don't lose at by all. that much. Like yeah. that's.
0: What do we, th- what do we think of Sam Heward? I like uh,
1: Sam Heward a lot.
0: I thought. I do too. Like he threw four picks. Yeah. One of them definitely wasn't his fault, but you could also see why he was a five star. You know, I think I think next year they're in for a much better quarterback yeah, I think play the than they had this year.
1: Um, are definitely telling of his status as being a true freshman that just was in high school in the spring. Mm-hmm. But it also showed that he was like willing to take risks. Like he was extremely confident in every single thing he did, which is something you don't see a lot from young players. Like. This man was making the craziest decisions for a true freshman. Honestly, for a quarterback, like I was very impressed with how he just did it, and mm-hmm. he didn't bat an eye. Like there's a ton of upside with him, so hopefully he can get a good coach that won't waste his career.
3: I've given up on yeah. uh, fresh on freshman quarterback evaluation, and I've further given up on uh, evaluating quarterbacks of bad teams. I have no clue what I'm talking about or Mm. I just, I don't get it. So I, yeah, I don't get it. I thought.
1: I will say, I was going to say, I think that Jaden Delora might be the best quarterback in this conference. Yeah.
3: And I thought he was dog shit. I thought he was so bad. And (laughs) I thought that Jaden Daniels was going to be the greatest gift to this entire earth, his freshman year. And I, I mean, you guys are talking a lot about Jackson Dart. I don't think he looks good at all. Not not at all. I there's flashes with Jackson Dart, but there's a lot really? of them. I'm just like, "Eh, I'd recruit over him." Like I just I don't know. And that's just kind of college quarterbacks in general, but there's aspects of it where I'm just like, I'm just I'm not that
0: impressed at the end of the day.
1: I thought Jaden Delora was dog shit before this season. It-
0: i'm surprised i thought he was like top four quarterback but then when they said garantano was going to be starting ahead of him i was like well, i guess i'm wrong because i know garantano is the worst quarterback i've ever seen
2: um and not to be a homer and and trust me I, having said that ucla football is in for dark days i hope people give me some credibility there i do think dtr is having watched Jaden. i really like Jaden delar don't get me wrong i I think DTR might be the best quarterback in the in the Pac-12. I just uh how he looked so I guess the UCLA Cal game um <laughs> he I I thought he looked awesome. He's looked he's looked incredible. Like god tier shit for 2 weeks in a row now. Um and like does things that I think a lot of Pac-12 quarterbacks can't do. He's just he's maybe the fastest quarterback in the Pac-12. Um, he has what? Uh, maybe the biggest arm in the Pac-12. He like at one point in that UCLA Cal game, uh, like had a 60-yard laser for a hail mary. It wasn't just like throw it up there, like floater. Like this shit was a laser. It did not get up more than like 15 feet off the ground. Insane stuff. I don't know. I mean, I think it. I mean, um, I think it might not matter very much because that might be the end of his time at UCLA. Um, certainly, I think he's done enough to. I don't know, warrant some NFL scouts to be like, Ooh, maybe this guy, you know, maybe he's the next Jared Goff or Justin Herbert or like really him. But
1: <laughs> Carlos is doing a lot <laughs> to distract us from the fact that he tried to convince us Cal was good last week. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, his argument yeah. was if Cal won, they are a good team. If Cal loses, they're a bad team because UCLA loses to good teams. And can we also queue
3: teams. up? Can we also queue up the clip of Carlos <laughs> yelling at us for saying how good, uh, um, Thick Boy 7 is after a USC game while well, he's now telling us the DTR is the best quarterback in the nation after a good game against USC. <laughs>
0: after a USC oh, yes, game. Oh, yes, very different, very cow cow different. the Cal game. You, the cow game. Well, you said
2: it after <laughs> you USC it too, for a couple though. Weeks. I, I did. I did. I, I mean, you would okay, so you all would. I mean, you, in fairness, you I think you all DTR would has Jaden. an argument. It's it's okay. going to be so, but you the top three. Over the DTR. top three
1: is Tanner McKee, Jaden Delora, and DTR. I don't know what order. I don't understand this conference. Yeah, I think I've made that very clear. That I have no <laughs> fucking clue what's going on here. I would agree with that. My picks tell the whole story. I blew a pretty big lead in second place. I'm kind of mad about it. Yeah, but it's I want. I don't know ball. I want (laughs) it
3: very clear that that's 3A, 3B, and 3C. One and two, those spots are empty. That you
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right, real quickly. Stanford, Washington, and USC all had some very disappointing seasons, and we should talk about those briefly. Of those three teams, which team do you think is most happy for this godforsaken season to end? I know USC has one game left, but let's include them here anyways. Which do you think is glad this is all over? Let's start with you, Greg.
0: Without a doubt, it's uh, USC. This the season has been pure misery for them. Like... You know, they fired Helton, and that was, like, joy. And then the rest of the season they could be like, you know, we don't really have to care about winning. We're just going to hope for Drake London to get the Bulitnikov And then he went down, and so that's not going to happen. And they just had nothing to cheer for. They lost to BYU. They lost to UCLA. But then they hired Lincoln Riley. And so, like, not only has their season from hell ended, they have more hope going forward than any other fan base in this conference. So it's got to be them.
1: Yeah, Greg just took my exact answer. I Washington, Washington we don't know who they're going to hire. Uh they look they look bad. Could be Bob Gregory, their defensive coordinator. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Matt Campbell. I don't know. Uh Stanford still still riding high with David Shaw, so we'll know how exactly how that'll go. At least they have McKee. But yeah, I think I think USC's the most happy that this is ending. Carlos
2: i don't have my notes pulled up is it me yeah it's me whoops uh yeah i um ah this is this is so hard i feel like every single podcast i've listened to has been like thank god this season is over um i'm going to say i'm gonna say it's i'm gonna say it's washington i think they had of these three teams now USC, I guess, always has high expectations. But of these three, I think Washington had the highest expectations that were reasonable, um, given what they were bringing back and the talent and the coach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for them to have, like, at, they were just in the news a lot. Like, this was an exhausting year for Washington fans. First, it was the loss to Montana. Um, and that was a first weekend monumental upset, a fucking epic proportions um and then it was like their offense being completely unwatchable against michigan um and then it was like uh you know in the middle of the season it was jimmy lake punting against oregon and then hitting a player and then him getting suspended um and then him eventually getting fired um and then bob gregory taking like it's just like it just was a lot. And then it was Sam Heward and Dylan Morris. And what are you going to do there? Is Dylan, like Dylan Morris is bad, but when do you play Sam Heward? Um, The injuries that they had to deal with. um, Just, just all of it. Like what an exhausting season. Like of all the teams that I think have had the most, just like, I'm really tired of talking about our football team and like them being bad like it has to be washington usc always embroiled in some kind of controversy but as soon as clay helton got um canned it was sort of like "Ah, whatever like the season's over we're just watching for whatever now but washington fans like just had to keep dealing with it and wondering whether the coach is going to be fired so um i think that the fans that are taking the biggest sigh of relief that the season is over um is washington fans
1: I didn't yeah, understand. Did that was the interpretation teams. of the of the question. I was just thinking, who's most excited for it to end, like in terms of like the program. But yeah, I think Washington fans are oh, the I most see. excited to uh, really get into rowing season. I don't know when rowing season is, but I'm sure it's soon.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I this is remarkable to me. First of all, USC had the best season out of any Pac-12, any Pac-12 team. You can't tell me any different. They got. Rid of our king, Clay Helton, on an absolute absurd decision by administration. Gone but not forgotten. Gone but not forgotten. Love the man. Um, and then are finishing this thing, like nobody wants to play football more than USC right now.
1: Well, like, that's why I'm saying they're exciting the for the season to end so that the next season can start. That was my whole interpretation is like, oh, this season can end so we can start building towards next season. Whereas the other two programs on this list have absolutely nothing to build towards. That's fine. That's I just I don't think it. that
3: this was like a drudge of a season for USC at all. Um, I think that uh, I think that Washington has a really good answer. I think it's the easy answer out of these three. Um, I don't think that Stanford cares. Uh, I don't think that this was actually a wildly disappointing season for them. <laughs> Again, incredibly competent. Um at Washington, yeah, the whole like John Donovan is calling plays. John Donovan is locked in Jimmy's basement. Oh wait, no, he's calling plays again, and now he's fired. Like definitely a lot of back and forth there.
2: Oh my god, I com I completely yeah. forgot about John oh, Donovan. Yeah, I completely yeah. Forgot thankfully,
3: about him. like I'm really happy for you on that.
0: Actually, <laughs> brain suppressing the memories. This is yeah. wonderful. Yeah,
3: um, I'm gonna throw a couple of honorable mentions out there that are not on this list because I think that Stanford deserves a replacement. Cal, <laughs> Cal is incredibly happy that this thing is done yeah. Um, yeah they can get justin wilcox's name out of like the press getting mad at the city of berkeley Oh yeah. um and john wilner can stop talking about justin wilcox going to uw oh wait just kidding maybe i don't know um <laughs> and then the last colorado are you kidding me having oh, to be yeah. in that snow and that weather and like choosing between the Broncos and the, <laughs> and the buffs right now going and watching a football game on a weekend in a miserable hey, cold stadium.
1: Hey, Broncos have a Broncos have a winning record. Okay. We're in the playoff race.
3: Really? God, yeah. the NFL sucks so bad. I hate the NFL. <laughs> <It sucks. laughs> so bad. Yeah. I think and, those and, two teams are, are probably Colorado honorable mentions here. Their,
0: Colorado got to fire their offensive coordinator. Now, Sacrifice. Uh, depending. Sacrifice. Well, that's, uh, we don't know yet if he gets another job this off season. Yeah, then I, I will be taking the you, under on their season win totals next year. <laughs> but if we don't see him again, 100% hammering the over, because that means Carl Durrell sacrificed a coordinator. Does he have social coordinators media Coordinators are extra power. I have, have no idea. Checked,
1: have we checked his Twitter? Does he have oh, Twitter wait,
0: account? no. Yeah, because wasn't he the guy that was like openly lobbying for the head coaching job? Oh. Yeah. That's what they said. That's what our boy Andrew Hobner said. Um, What's
1: his said. name again? That was Rodriguez. De- I, uh, did. I, didn't, I didn't know that,
0: actually. Chavarini Dan's, or something?
2: No, oh, the the
0: offensive Dan line coach is, Rod- is Rodriguez.
1: Oh,
3: Rodriguez and Chevrolet.
0: But the, the offense about a couple of names.
1: Are you talking about the OC? Oh, okay, I understand. Yes,
2: the offensive coordinator. So just a quick just a quick bit of history. Carl Durrell got hired last season, obviously um, partially due to the pandemic, but partially probably because Colorado had some affinity for Dan Cheverini. Um, Colorado's administration pretty much asked Carl Durrell to keep him on as his offensive coordinator. Typically it's like when you have to fire your offensive coordinator, um, it's a bad look for you um, because you hired that guy. But in this case, I think Carl Durrell gets a pass just, just because like it was kind of forced on him um, and he took it and You know, um, maybe he was. I mean, to be clear, for a little bit more context, Colorado fans had been praying for Dan Shaverini to get fired for years now. Um, This is this has been a long time coming. He's been the topic of controversy for a long time. I know that um, UCLA fans are thinking that Carl Durrell is the primary reason that Colorado's offense is bad. and, And maybe that's true. But um Dan Chavarini has had a has has been there for a while and and no one has liked him, so maybe that's a good that's a good sign It's a good sign that- uh, Carl Durrell fired his offensive line coach, and Colorado's offense looked like not the worst offense on the planet the way it did before, so I'm just gonna say lay off our boy Carl Durrell. We don't know what he's going to be like uh, like when when Jonathan Smith fires a defensive coordinator it's Oh, what a great, great, great decision by Smitty. Um, That's why he's coach of the year. Saw the issue with his defensive coordinator and canned him. Great job. Um, And when Carl Durrell and Jimmy Lake do it, it's, wow, what a fucking moron. I can't believe you hired, although John Donovan really should not have been hired to begin with. That was actually a stupid decision. No defense of that.
1: Carl Durrell, not, not listen, really the same Listen, thing, so. Jonathan Smith um, can't do things wrong except throw the ball. That is the only error he can make <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Throwing the ball and go for, going for it in dumb situations. He is perfect otherwise. Okay, should we get on to the bread and butter of this podcast episode? I hate that I said Before that. Before we
0: do that, oh, great. I Have do want thought. to say one thing five-star quarterback uh, Malachi Nelson from Los Alamitos uh, just decommitted from Oklahoma. Did he officially decommit? (laughs) Yeah, tweeted the God's plan thing. Very cool. cool. Yeah, so so uh, things are looking good for the Trojans and not so good for the Sooners. Also, tough for uh, Dart.
1: Poor Dart. Dang it. Uh oh. Oh, (laughs) damn. Does Matt know quarterbacks? Uh Uh-oh. He'll end up somewhere in the conference, I'm sure. Oh, that'd be
3: tasty. Oh. Ooh. I wonder okay. where it would go.
1: Maybe Oregon State. Um, I need to stop making that joke. It's not funny anymore. All right, <laughs> let's talk about the rematched Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas this upcoming Friday, December 3rd. Utah obviously beat the living shit out of Oregon 38-7 to just a week. It was like eight days ago today um, in Salt Lake City. Does this game go differently? Who wants to start us off here?
2: I'll start us off here. Um, does this game go differently? Yes, obviously. I think we can all agree that uh, to not expect a 31-point blowout. Um, I think things had to go catastrophically bad for Oregon. Um I you know, the thing about that game 8 days ago now as we record this was that uh Utah got up to a 21 nothing lead and you uni- knew early and just based on what you'd seen from Anthony Brown and what you'd seen from Oregon's offense and how they play offense you knew they weren't going to be able to overcome that. They don't get big plays. We talked about that. I expect this so this will be a neutral site game. Um Oregon and Utah fans are going back and forth on Twitter of course about whether this is an Oregon home game or a Utah home game. The reality is this will be a home game for neither team. Um the environment will be much more relaxed. Um it will be pretty chill because that's how neutral site games are. Um and in that environment I kind of think that um Oregon won't get as frazzled. Although it's funny we were talking about home field advantage but like Utah had the ball first in that game and committed a false start. They were so, excited. <laughs> I don't Yeah, they were very excited. Maybe it was a home field disadvantage there for a moment. But um but yeah, I mean I I just think that I expect Oregon to to be able to control this game a little bit more. It got out of hand super, super fast, and then they had zero control over what was happening. Um, I expect them to control the game a little bit more. I expect them to be better on the ground than they were early on, Um, and I expect this if this is close at halftime you know just as it normally has been it's anybody's game i mean really oregon just needs to control the pace and the tempo of this game and not let it get out of hand and keep it within reach as they have all season and um they'll certainly be in position to rip utah's hearts out at the end just as they had done for many games before this so i think it will go differently i don't know necessarily if that means oregon wins but I expect Travis Dye to have a bigger game. I expect Cardwell, Byron Cardwell, their backup running back, who should who should really get a lot more touches than he has to do well. Anthony Brown, I don't know. I mean, what to expect from Anthony Brown? If your defense is bad, Anthony Brown is going to get downfield shots against you. Um, but if your defense is good, Anthony Brown is going to be almost unplayable. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do it, but I do expect Oregon to keep this closer. And I don't know if the outcome is any different, but... I don't well, know. obviously
1: I the game's going to go differently. Utah beat them by 31 points. you think Utah's going to replicate that? It's, no, it's not going to happen. It's going to be 45 gonna, this time. You're the one who asked the Utah, question. I'm not the one that wrote it down. No, Utah, <laughs> Utah, Utah has the upper hand here. I think it's very clear that they have the better quarterback here. I think Utah's defense was the better position group than Oregon's offense. How much did that have to do with home field advantage I think a lot more than most people think did but it's not going to be a 31 point blowout and Utah's path to victory here is their path to victory against every team that has ever been severely more talented than them which is to punch them in the mouth as hard as they can early on like if Utah doesn't jump out to a lead I don't see this going well like if like you said Carlos if it's close at halftime I don't feel good about it Oregon has more talent here you know they're a more defensive team than they are offensive which means that they're going to be a little bit more in control of the game clock clock than outscoring you but it just I just don't feel like Utah is going to be able to overcome any big deficits against a team as talented as this like sure we did it against Arizona State Oregon's on a different level talent wise than Arizona State is but Honestly, Utah should win this game, and that is why I believe that they will not win this game. Um, I think my heart will be ripped out again for the third time in four years. I think I will end up crying in an NFL stadium once again for the third time in four years. And I'm not happy about it because, like we said earlier in the episode, this is Utah's best chance they're going to get maybe ever. We don't know. Definitely for the foreseeable future, like – the Pac-12 has been wide open this year. Oregon was very clearly a paper tiger. They lost by 31 points to a team that has three losses. Like, we know they're not good. Are they going to be good teams in the future? Probably. Ty Thompson's a much better quarterback, in my opinion, than Anthony Brown is. So while Anthony Brown is the quarterback of Oregon, Utah's in a very good position here. And I'm scared that Mario Cristobal is going to have, like, this – evil man on his shoulder telling him that recruiting is very important and this game is important because he has a new guy coming to the (laughs) Pac-12 to fuck up his recruiting dominance and I'm really scared about it and I wish it was in Salt Lake City and then I'd feel really weird and good about it again but uh, I, I think it will go differently. I think Utah has the edge here. I really hope Utah scores on their first drive of the game. That will make me feel wonderful i doubt oregon will punt the ball to Britton covey at the end of the first half again so
0: i'm scared like <laughs> i'm very scared <laughs> i'm going to pick utah to win because we won by 31 and uh i refuse to let my fears dictate my picks going forward but uh uh i think Moorhead and Deruder are going to adjust like they're not gonna get beat nearly that badly again there's no way anthony brown's gonna be as bad as he was in that game well, again like I... he was missing so many throws
1: like i mean don't give him credit even... for torching oregon state's defensive backs. i'm not, Please, no, no. greg
0: i'm not i'm not saying he's gonna do what he did to oregon state but like he was so bad against utah just like missing everything i've never seen receivers you know the body language and the way they were like pointing where they wanted the ball. I've never seen so much of that in one game as it was in that game. So you haven't watched so, a lot of
3: Oregon this this year?
1: <laughs> it's been it's been most of the season.
0: No, but that was worse. Like even like the Oregon twenty four seven guys were, were talking about how bad it was after think, that game. I
1: think what made it even more worse is they lost by thirty one points, so you know, they've won most of these games. Well yeah, I and think the receivers the were more frustrated like because shit. of that. So we've given him a pass because his team has won. He's looked this bad all season. And, and, and No one's exposed it. Yeah.
0: I uh, I'm also, I wonder, are, is Oregon going to figure out how to cover Utah tight, Utah's tight ends this, this time? Because uh, they certainly did not have any answers for that in the last game. And if they can't do that, Utah's going to win again, and it'll probably be a comfortable win. But I, I kind of think they've got to have some, some sort of answer. They've had two weeks to figure it out.
3: This is weird for me because I feel like I've been the Utah pessimist this season out of the three of us. What? Um, no, you have not. You said
0: Utah's going to run away with the South. You haven't been a pessimist. Unbelievable, Shit, I cannot who, believe you Carlos,
1: said that. Carlos, who has been the most pessimistic? It's Avery. See, the reason the reason I don't seem uh, pessimistic is because I was so fucking confident about Utah beating Oregon at home. And I was right. I was right.
3: Plus your obligations.
1: Every, the rest of <laughs> true the rest the rest of the season in private conversation i have been a l- lot more pessimistic than i appear right now
3: y'all i think Utah's just a terrible matchup for oregon i think that utah kicks the shit out of exactly where oregon just is not schemed up to play um i really i think it's it's just that simple i I think Utah's a terrible matchup for Ohio State. I think Utah's going to run Ohio State in oh, a potential Rose Bowl. Anyway. No, come ahead. on, Matt. Please don't, don't go do ahead. That to us. I don't care. I'm Please. doing it. I'm the Pac-12 you. <laughs>
1: gods are watching us. Yeah, I'm so scared of them.
3: I'm t- y'all. Luke Musgrave, the um, Ohio State, uh, Ohio State, Oregon State, the the OSU of of the college football world. Um, the tight end for them went had a game of his life this last week. I don't think. And and furthermore, Chance Nolan didn't take a sack last week. I there are a couple of things that are just going on with this Oregon team that are really manifesting in, in a big way. And I don't think look, I, I think that, that game that game last, uh, a couple weeks ago was a lot closer than that score dictates too. Um Oregon had a couple of, of, of drives stall out in the red zone where they went for it. They had the blocked field goal. Like that that was a much closer game than the thirty-one points generally suggests and a lot of that too is dictated just off of game script where they they fell behind early and decided to throw the ball a ton we talked about how little byron cardwell and and travis Dye touched the ball in the game i don't think that that's going to be the case this time either and i think that's kind of where you talk about the biggest thing that utah can do here is come out and punch oregon in the mouth the thing is is that utah has shown all year that they can score all year I still
1: I still am having a hard time it, believing. I it know, yeah.
3: It's it's Although. super funny because I think that a lot of what that is is how much this is this is Ludwig's ideal offense. Like this is exactly the same mm-hmm. shit he did in the 2008 years. This is the exact same thing where it's just we're gonna dink and dunk, we're gonna go seven to eight yards at a time, and we're gonna use these weird tight end slot guys. And maybe we'll hit one over the top, but otherwise we're just we're gonna run the ball and we're gonna do weird stuff. Um, I just think this is just a bad matchup for Oregon. I think that Utah matches up really well. And I don't think I, I think that Oregon wants to get out on the edges and use their speed in in a lot more of a way. You know, I think that Kevon Thibodeau wants to get on the edge and, and really do a lot of, of his more finesse stuff. And I just don't think that Utah is is engaged is willing to engage in that type of a ball game. Um, they want to play in a phone booth, and I think that that's how you can beat Oregon.
2: The most important thing in this game is going to be what was the most important thing last time, which was what does Oregon's line look like against Utah's line on both sides of the ball? Is Oregon's offensive line going to get a push against that Utah defensive line that like, frankly was pushing them around? And then on the other side of the ball, Oregon's defensive line got pushed all the way around um, by Utah's... Like 50 tight ends, um, just completely, <laughs> completely bullied them on the trenches. All the other stuff, Anthony Brown and like the skill position players for Utah and Cam Rising, like all that stuff aside, we know games are won in the trenches all the time. Is Utah going to be able to do what they did in the trenches um, against Oregon? Eight days ago.
1: We're going to talk about Utah for a second. Okay, Carlos, get over it. We're (laughs) going to the conference championship. You're not. All right. Utah has three very unique tight ends. First of all, you have Brant Keithy, who, like I've been saying, is just a tall Britain cubby. He's just... He's... A slot guy. He's a tight end that can work in the slots, but somehow has gotten much better at blocking despite being on the small side. Cole Fotheringham's like your classic tight end, really great at blocking, has been pancaking dudes left and right. And then you have Dalton Kincaid, who is a deep threat, who you can toss the ball up to and he'll win it. And Andy Ludwig has just been masterfully using these guys in blocking schemes. And I don't think, like Matt said, I don't think they're going to be able to do anything against that. So, it, this is, in my opinion, it needs to be Oregon's offense. I need to see Oregon's offense do something because mm-hmm. I don't think they're gonna win by stopping Utah's offense. Like I, I, just don't think they're equipped to. Which I, I guess that's like the bigger on-field matchup. Is everybody wants to look at Utah's offense and Oregon's defense? But I just I, Travis Dye has to get involved in the game. So uh, mm-hmm. will they do that? I don't know. Hopefully, like if they want to win, they need to run the ball. Like they only—I think he had only six carries against Utah. Uh-huh. He, he had, we I think, go. eight
3: total touches in yeah, comparison to vicious. twenty-four this last week against Oregon State. Like and, uh, he's got to touch the ball twenty plus times.
2: It's much easier to get touches when you're not down twenty-one to nothing. I mean, that's, exactly that, right. Like it, at, at that point, down twenty-one nothing. Anthony Brown trusting Anthony Brown to bring you back and make big plays—it's not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs>
0: Anthony Brown needs to cut the checkdown bullshit. Also, like Utah was giving them deep balls, and they Anthony Brown wanted no part of them. Like yeah, he took it's one because he can't
1: throw them.
0: Occasionally, he hits them though. Like he can. He's inconsistent, but he can. He can. You know, like he hit one against Utah. He hit one against Oregon State. I'm not expecting him to like hit a high percentage of them, but he has to try. Or Oregon's offense is going to get stopped.
3: I I don't think he likes the man coverage honestly. I don't I don't think that he likes the man coverage that Utah runs. I, I again I just I think this is a horrendous matchup. Well, let's go on to predicting this game. Utah is a 3 point favorite. Uh Matt, do you think Utah wins? Uh do they cover? Yeah, I'm picking Utah to win and and cover it. I think it ends up being like a 4 point game uh Oregon with the ball and we get a crystal ball uh time management gaff um because he didn't realize that he needed to go for a touchdown instead of a field goal or some dumb shit like that Avery what do you think do you think Utah
2: yeah. wins and covers the three points spread spread
1: yeah Utah should win and cover um I'm scared because <laughs> I don't know joy I don't know joy I've never felt it um but they're they're gonna win and they're gonna cover
0: Greg I also think Utah's going to win cover. I think they'll win by like 10 because I think the things that they do that made them win the last time, like if they do those things again, it won't be as close as three points. Like, you know, I think it'll be a two-score game because when you win in the way, like when you win by pushing the other team around, it's rarely a one-possession game.
2: Yeah. I think think this is going to be an insanely close... Nail biting game, just because I imagine Oregon will come out with a bit more energy um, and hopefully a lot more confidence. I think Utah wins. I don't think they cover. I think this is going to be this is going to make some Utah fans fucking sweat. Um, this might be like game winning field goal type stuff. Um, yes, like Utah <laughs> Not has the all the special match-ups. teams. <laughs> uh, oh no! Oh, <laughs> uh, if, you know if the margin, if the margin is close. Teams,
3: um, I haven't seen it updated. It was 123rd at last check. Let me see. If, yeah,
2: yeah. If we if Bill have updated
3: up, it. Up. Cannot have gone up.
2: No, it's okay. No, I mean, uh, I think it's. I think it's gonna make Utah fans sweat. I think it's gonna be heart palpitations. And you know, we're gonna we're gonna be in Las Vegas for that game. Um, and I think we're planning on. Uh, <laughs> I think we're planning on on interviewing some Utah fans afterwards. And buddy, let me tell you, if Utah fans win that one close off some like. Just close end of play game that's going to make their palms sweat. Um, those, <laughs> the post game stuff is going to be electric. So, I, uh, yeah, I think Utah wins and I think it's going to be in some insane nail biting fashion that's going to make everyone go
0: nuts. Utah is Utah 122nd in special uh, teams. Moving yeah. up. Yes! So we moved up. Moving Let's go. up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Despite that's... giving up a kickoff return touchdown. <laughs> we will,
1: we will see if Cam Rising ends up being our punter or not. Um, but we're gonna wrap this on up. We'll have a ton to talk about uh, after this. We're gonna be in Vegas, so we'll get some fun content there. But as for myself, uh, Avery at Brave Underscore Crepes, Greg at Banana Banana Morphs. I have such a hard time pronouncing that. <laughs> Matt at Matt Kniper and Carlos at Equity Bruin. Always remember, there are no truck stops here.
3: Not even one.
1: with smoke, so take me